Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we're following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Invisible Hate. I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. So, Sadia, we are 15 or so episodes in. How do you think things are going with this season? Asad, I think things are going really good. I love all the work that we've done so far. But you know what? I am so excited to explore so many other cases. And I was thinking about this the other day, and I think I spoke to you about it as well. Although we call Invisible Hate a true crime podcast, it's much more than that. It is an extension of Refillion and Immigrantly's mission of highlighting injustices that happen against minority groups. So in addition to looking at the numbers and downloads, which are extremely important, I am really proud of our work. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And and I think that's a testament to you and our production team for the quality of the show and 100% agree. And I also am excited about the ideas that we have about the stories that we want to tell and the different topics that we want to discuss. And yeah, I think it's been going great. Sadly, I had another question for you, and that is what true crime shows or things that you've been obsessing over recently? So as you know, I do consume a lot of true crime shows and it all started with Serial. And looking back, I think Serial was also highlighting injustices. And I recently finished a true crime series, Asad. It's called The Coldest Case in Laramie. Oh, I heard good things. Yeah. So this journalist from New York Times, Kim Barker, revisits a murder that took place almost 40 years ago when she was in high school in Laramie, Wyoming. And I really like the way the story was told, but I don't want to spoil it for our listeners. I wasn't pleased with the ending. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I 
would love to hear listeners' thoughts on this. If you have listened to this podcast, write to us and tell me what you think and how yeah. did you like it. Yeah, so that's one of the true crime podcasts that I binged. And then in addition to true crime, I listen to so many other podcasts, but we'll, we'll talk about it some other time. Yeah, you know, the coldest case in Laramie, I feel like every three to six months, there's like some podcast series that just kind of like breaks through. And then because all of my friends and family know that I'm the podcast guy, like everybody shares with me the link too. And so I've gotten like, you know, 10 different people sharing with me that I should be listening to that series. So I'll, I'm sure I'll binge it at some point too. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, I'd love to hear how our listeners feel about it. You know, as you know, I have a four week old child now. And so I'm up a lot in the middle of the night. And recently, baby Isha and I were watching on the Peacock Network, a uh, two part series called Who Killed Robert Wan. It's about a, a case from 15 years ago mm. about a lawyer who goes to his uh, buddy's house and his buddy is living with two roommates. And, you know, he arrives at night to spend the night and within an hour, he's dead. And oh, wow. the friends and the roommates blame an intruder, but police think that one of the three of them did it. And so it, it's this like really interesting case. I didn't know about it at the time, but kind of was like a really big case in the D.C. area, you know, whatever it was 10, 15 years ago. So highly recommend that. But I probably don't recommend watching it with your four week old or watching <laughs> it at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, yeah. I said it's better to watch it with a four-week-old than a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But Sally, it's really, I feel like maybe it's the more time of day because I was definitely at times, especially when I was pausing it, like I was looking out the window and like, you know, we live on a busy street. It must be scary. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, totally. And you do all the stuff, you know, runs through your minds when you're watching that kind of stuff. So with true crime, you always go down that rabbit hole, right? Yeah, 100%. Anyway, should we get to today's story? Absolutely. So today's story goes back about 10 years in time to October of 2014 in Knoxville, Tennessee. 34-year-old David Keck is heading to his favorite bar. It's called Bullfeathers, and he's going there with friends to sing karaoke. David is a well-liked guy. He's openly gay, and he's a regular at this bar, so nothing unusual here. But when David gets up to use the bathroom, a stranger named Dennis Wildler approaches him and starts to chat. As the story goes, Dennis then asks about the tie that David was wearing, and it's actually a tie that David designed himself. So David actually gives Dennis one of his business cards for the custom ties and then proceeds with his night. David and his friends eventually pay their tab, they leave the bar, and they head to their respective homes. It's the end of the night. Cameras at the bar actually show Dennis leaving a couple minutes later after the group does. And that's where the story really becomes interesting, Sadia. The last thing that David remembers from the evening is Dennis at his apartment door. And what we now know is that Dennis knocks David unconscious immediately. He sexually assaults him, then beats him so badly, he believes David is dead. He then leaves, but not before taking David's wallet, phone, and car. And he doesn't go home, he actually heads to another bar. And remember, he's all bloody from beating up David. And at the bar, he actually brags to people there that he just killed a gay man. Dennis ends up getting kicked out of that bar and he gets back in David's car. 
and ends up crashing it. That's when police respond and discover David's documents in his possession. Dennis then confesses to the police that he's killed a gay man. And then 18 hours later, police arrive at David's apartment and they actually find him alive, but just barely. So this guy follows David all the way to his apartment. It's unclear how he gets there. And I think that that's one of the details in the case that we're unsure of, whether he asked David for a ride home or he followed him to his apartment. I said, that's horrific. Like, why did it take so long for police to get to David? And I I will come back to that question. But just the way all these events panned out, right? Like this guy, he meets somebody at the bar and then all of a sudden he is at David's apartment and then he beats him up, sexually assaults him and also robs him and then brags about it. This is so sad, so bizarre. And I'm so mad right now. Obviously, I want to know more about what happened, but why did it take so long for police to get to David? Yeah, that's a great question, Sadi, and something that I was wondering as well. And yeah, it's like 18 hours. That's a really long time mm. for David to be lying there, like near death, right? And like, oh man, it just it gives me nightmares. But apparently he had just recently moved and hadn't yet updated his address on his driver's license. And then Dennis, I assume because of like alcohol or denial or like, you know, having only been to the location for, you know, the first time that night, he couldn't lead police to directly where David was. So it's only after the car is impounded and searched that they find a lease in one of the seat pockets that they can locate David. And remember, Dennis also thinks that he killed David. So I guess maybe police aren't kind of prioritizing getting him help. It's it's unknown in that regard. But yeah, that, it's kind of crazy this 18 hours. Yeah, that makes sense. What you said just now about police thinking that David is already dead. But something else that seems a bit weird to me, you think that because of alcohol or denial or having only been to the location once, he was not telling police about the whereabouts of David. And I'm thinking he's just this evil guy, I said. Who knows? He didn't want to disclose the location because he probably thought David is dead or he didn't want anybody to save him if he were alive. Yeah, I mean, you know, that seems to be the MO for a lot of the perpetrators that we discuss on this show is that they deny, deny, deny. But Dennis is kind of different. He seemed to be more talkative and you know, telling the police what happened. And so, you know, one of the things about this case is similar to the case of Charlie Howard, which we did, you know, a couple episodes back. Dennis uses the gay panic defense almost right away, telling police that David propositioned him. And so that's why he attacked him and almost nearly killed him. In other words, you know, this is, you know, he was actually saying that David was at fault for instigating what happened to him, you know, this, this ridiculous defense. So while he admitted to the assault, he doesn't immediately kind of own up to the sexual assault right away. Hmm. And you got to remember that this is in the South. Passing now sent to the governor there tonight. It's called the Parental Rights in Education Bill. Critics call it the Don't Say Gay Bill. What it would prevent... And even though it's 2014, I think the feeling is that Dennis thought that the police would actually relate more to him than they did to David. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Luckily, in addition to Dennis confessing to the police, Dennis's girlfriend actually was able to back up the story. She said that Dennis actually called her 
from David's apartment, apparently with David's phone, and told her that he just killed a gay man. So she is able to back up his story in terms of killing David, but not in the context of David propositioning Dennis, right? Okay. Able to confirm that at least some sort of assault or attempted murder had happened. And that put Dennis at the scene of David's apartment. Oh my gosh, I said, I can't even imagine committing such a brutal crime in the first place and then being so brazen about it with multiple people. It's just so annoying. Yeah, Sadia, what would you do if your spouse or your partner called you and was like, I just committed this crime? Like, I, I also mm. like that. That seems like such a I, I don't even know how to think about that. You know, it's it's so unfathomable to me. I honestly don't know what I would do. So anyways, police finally discover that David is alive. What happens next? Yeah, so police arrive and find the apartment door open and David lying in the kitchen. They believed David had been beaten to death until they finally noticed that his foot was moving. And so an ambulance rushes him to the hospital. And, you know, there are photos of David in the hospital. You can find them online with his face beaten and his eyes black and swollen shut. You know, I saw them last night again, and they're just brutal, Sadia. They're just kind of like out of a Hollywood movie. You, you, you don't believe it's real. And anyway, so a rape test is actually conducted. And it turns out that he was raped by both Dennis and a foreign object. And David doesn't remember any of that. And this is going to make you really angry, Sadia. Allegedly, the nurses at the hospital were heard over saying that they were afraid to change David's bloody sheets because they assumed he engaged in risky sex and had AIDS. And this is like 2014, just like wild, wild stuff for, for nurses to think this, you know? I said, what the hell? It's really living up to the stereotypes about the South, right? Yeah, that they're just, that it's just backwards and uneducated and ill-informed. And and yeah, totally. You know, going back to David now, so a lack of oxygen to his brain actually caused amnesia and brain damage. He remained unconscious for quite a while. And so that's why accounts of the evening are kind of fuzzy and almost entirely from Dennis's perspective. Neither David nor his family knew what had happened at all. And actually, you know, just another kind of side note, when David woke up, at first he believed that he was back in a serious car accident from his childhood that had killed three relatives. So can you imagine just like waking up and then like this flashback that you're having to this horrific event from before, so yeah. You know what, I said this makes me so sad, especially because David doesn't even get to give his own account, right? That seems unusual to just have the perpetrator's story. And that's what we have. So I said, what info was out in the media? I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, sadly, it's actually pretty remarkable how little coverage there is on the incident, the investigation or the trial itself. And, you know, we don't know, is it homophobia is it because he didn't die is it because it's been nine years like Sadi, what do you think like why why do you think something like this didn't get a lot of coverage i said i think it's all of the above it could be homophobia it could be because david didn't die and so the story wasn't as important or couldn't be sensationalized as much and it's been nine years so i don't know but what happened was dennis arrested and charged Yeah, so what we do know, and we know for sure, that David and Dennis spoke at the bar because of witnesses and cameras, though nobody kind of corroborated the context of the conversation. And we know that Dennis followed David outside, but there are no cameras at the apartment complex. 
So it's not clear how exactly Dennis got to David's apartment to your question at the beginning of the show. Hmm. But he possibly even could have asked David for a ride, like as I as I mentioned. Police really just had Dennis's story and his girlfriend's, you know, story to go on for a very long time, though David eventually remembered bits and pieces. So police arrest Dennis immediately, but the charges are aggravated assault and robbery, no rape and no hate crime charges. Wait, what? Not even rape? Yes, Adi, we couldn't find information as to why that was the case. And so our listeners, if anybody knows why that would be the case, even after a you know, successful rape kit test um, you know, earlier, we'd love to know. Absolutely. Please write to us. And so, you know, Sadia, since the media couldn't get any early information from David because he was unconscious and his family didn't know anything, they went to the police station and apparently obtained the confession from Dennis. Um, And it seems like Dennis was somewhat truthful about the severe beating, and he was only later truthful about the sexual assault. My story, which was written based off of the rapist's confession, was now being told on the news. The news anchor stated that I came on to my attacker sexually, and that is what led him to beat me. So tell us more about David. I really want to know more about him. Yes, Adi, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll tell you all about how David was this great guy and what he's up to now. We'll be right back. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Invisible Heat. So before we went into break, I was asking you about David. So tell us a little more about David. I'm really curious to know more about him. So David was well-known and supported around Knoxville. He was gentle and confident in who he was. And actually, you know, David believes that Dennis was actually threatened by that, either because of his own sexuality or just disdain for David's sexuality. David had just been going through a breakup and was out with friends who were trying to cheer him up. He, as I mentioned, designed custom ties and had just started a company. He received a lot of encouragement after the attack, but also death threats and blame for going to a straight bar in the first place, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And though he's made a remarkable recovery, he had to learn to walk again because of nerve damage and he experiences even seizures right now. And what about Dennis Asad? Tell me a little bit about him. Yeah, so Dennis was kind of this like, clean-cut, presentable, straight-presenting-slash-identifying man from a small southern county. He had recently been discharged from the military because of drug use, and his girlfriend had just kicked him out of the house. He has two children now and had at least one at the time of the crime, and he lived about an hour away from the bar and only knew the one friend that he had met there. Yeah, I mean, this guy seems a bit weird to me, Asad, and I wonder if he sought out a place far away where nobody would really know him because of his previous actions, his drug use, maybe he has 
anger issues, who knows, right? Yeah. But tell me about the trial. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so the Tennessee Equality Project, which is a nonprofit pushed Knoxville PD to pursue hate crime charges, which would have brought a stricter sentence, but that was to no avail. And just a, a note about hate crime charges in, in general in Tennessee at that time, they were known as the Tennessee Bias Motivated Crimes Act. And under this law, it was a class A misdemeanor to commit certain offenses, including assault, vandalism, or intimidation against a person or property because of the victim's actual or perceived race, color, ancestry, religion, national origin, disability, or sexual orientation. You know, this is kind of similar to a lot of statutes that you see in the country. And then, you know, if a person was convicted of a class A misdemeanor under the law, they could face up to 11 months uh, or almost 12 months in jail and a fine of up to $2,500 or both. And if the offense was committed with the use of a deadly weapon or resulted in a physical injury to the victim, the penalty could be increased to a class E felony, which carried a potential sentence of one to six years in prison and a fine of $3,000 or both. And so, you know, I think, you know, as we always talk about Sadia uh, and on this podcast, it's rare for hate crime prosecutions to actually happen. And that's what seems to be the case here, unfortunately. And I don't know why they didn't pursue it, you know, probably because they felt they couldn't get a conviction or it wasn't worth it. Yeah, it goes back to the same thing that we've discussed over and over. I said, this guy, Dennis, he, after committing assault, after almost killing a person, brags about killing a gay man, quote unquote, which by the way means that he knew exactly what he was doing. He had this perceived identity in this case, which is true, but he knew exactly who this person was. He was aware of this person's sexual orientation, which should make it a hate crime, but it doesn't. And to your point, it seems like law enforcement in America judicial system in America are not equipped to handle these cases or not take them seriously. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Sadi. And, and I think I, I lean more towards the not take them seriously as opposed to being less equipped. Though, mm. I, you know, I think I go back and forth on that all the time. You're right. You're right. I agree. And so, you know, going back, the trial also occurred during a judge re-election period. And so, Sadi, I don't know if you know this, but in some states in the U.S., you actually vote for the judges, which is, again... Oh, interesting. Yeah, crazy to me that essentially you can be electing Republican or Democratic judges in an electoral process um, when they're supposed to be, you know, fully impartial type of thing. Um, and I guess in this case, the judge here allegedly wanted to sweep the case under the rug and influence the media to stick to the original gay panic story uh, or mm. the gay panic defense. And you got to remember, Sadia, that, you know, all of this was happening during the height of the fight for same-sex marriage in the country. Several thousand protesters have marched in Washington against same-sex marriage as the U.S. Supreme Court prepares to hear arguments on the divisive issue on Tuesday. The decision rests on... Specifically, whether state bans on same-sex marriage were constitutional. And so, you know, it wasn't until June of 2015 when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down all the bans and made it legal nationwide. Right. Again, another note, uh, you know, Tennessee, according to the Human Rights Campaign, has passed more anti-LGBTQ plus legislation 
than any other state as of 2023. So, you know, we're, we're not talking about the most progressive state in the country. Yeah, at least, I'm not surprised, I said. Uh, yeah, at least by the standards of their legislature. Mm. So anyway, back to the trial. Dennis said during the trial that David had not, in fact, come on to him, but that he had thought police would sympathize with the gay panic motive. So now he's kind of like reversing course on oh that. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> so he's already retracted and he's saying, yeah, I did it because of David being gay. So he basically he's saying that David looked like an easy target for him to cash in on. So it was really using more of a robbery motive. Oh. That was his that was his motive. And it wasn't because, you know, David was coming on to him and then he wanted to attack him. In the end, obviously, he's guilty. Dennis was sentenced to 10 years. But and you're going to hate this, Sadia. He was released after four months on the basis of good time, which is that he spent a year in jail awaiting trial. And then he had good behavior in jail. After he got out, he was put on probation, but he later violated his probation and went back to jail for a short time. And Oh my gosh, I said, when you said 10 years, I got so excited. I was like, yes, but then you ruined it for me. I said, you just <laughs> ruined it for me. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, I, like I'll never understand how it goes from 10 years to a year and a half, essentially. Like mm. that to me seems like such a disparate, you know, a wide difference, you know. And so, but yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. And I knew that you were not going to like that. And, you know, I just want to note that David has a lifetime restraining order against Dennis. Good for him. Yeah, for sure. So, Asad, do you think this was a hate crime? Yeah, Sadi. I mean, I think that we both know the answer here. Clearly, A, Dennis did the crime. Like, he admitted to it. Clearly, he he raped David. He assaulted him. He nearly killed him. And then he was bragging about it at the bar later on. I think there's plenty of evidence to, to see here that this was a hate crime and should have been prosecuted as a hate crime. How, how do you think about it? I said, I will tweak it a bit. You're absolutely right. It could fall within that realm and category. But I am thinking it may initially have been robbery. But for Dennis, David was an easy target because he thought of David as a lesser human because of his sexual orientation, right? So he may have done the same to somebody else, but not to the same extent. He may have robbed somebody else. We don't know that. So I'm wondering if the entirety of the incident can be classified as a hate crime. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's interesting, Sally. I think that like, if it was just robbery, there were probably plenty of other victims that he could have robbed that wouldn't put you at someone's apartment door, right? Like yeah. that, there's a distance that you have to travel. And so at least in, in that sense, it, you know, maybe it's not a hate crime, but certainly it's more than just, you know, a simple robbery um, because, you know, I just feel like there's probably a lot easier ways to rob someone than sexually assaulting them, nearly beating them to death and, you know, leaving them to die. Yeah, so. I, I get what you're saying, because the way I was looking at it was what was the intent first, right? Yeah. Was it robbery or committing hate crime against David because of his sexual orientation? And my initial thought was it could be robbery. And then in the process, he was like, yeah, but the, because of his sexual orientation, I really don't care for him. And it's okay mm. to commit such heinous crime against David. But now looking back, you're right. We cannot figure out or even speculate as to what his motivation was. Was it hate crime, which then extended into robbery? 
And now that you have talked about how he ended up at David's apartment, it seems that you may be right. It may actually be hate crime, which obviously then became robbery rather than the other way around. So what's the latest, Asad? Oh, yeah. So, you know, Sadia, let's take a quick break and we'll come back. and We'll tell you the latest with David and the case and then also how you can help. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So, Asad, what's the latest? Yeah, so David actually wrote a victim impact statement, and it's in podcast form. We definitely recommend that you listen to it. And I just want to note here that he actually refers to what happened to him as a hate crime, Hmm. um, which I thought is really interesting, you know. David later communicated with Dennis once briefly on Facebook, and Dennis apologized. Dennis's mom and ex-girlfriend have also reached out and apologized to David on Dennis's behalf. The two men still live near each other, but you know clearly they don't interact. David has, quote, rediscovered the life-changing power of compassion, leading him to change his life trajectory. He now devotes his time to mental health and victims and is happily married. He hosts a weekly podcast called Surviving Abuse, where he interviews people who have lived through horrible events. Uh, Surviving Abuse, the podcast, is a show designed to bring hope, healing, and education to those who have experienced personal trauma and abuse. Again, we'll link to that in the show notes. He speaks a lot about the crime, but he rarely brings up Dennis's name in podcasts. His intention is not to blast Dennis, but to keep the focus on victims and never the perps, which I thought it was, you know, that was really interesting. So anyway, Sadia, any kind of final thoughts or takeaways for you on this case? You know what I said? I was thinking as you were reading this and sharing this information with us, I think we should have David on our podcast. Oh, that would be great. I would love to hear what what he has to say and share his experience, but also his life's work now. So if David ends up listening to this episode of Invisible Hate, we would love to have you on our podcast. And have this conversation about hate crime. We really talk about what happens afterwards and what that healing and forgiveness looks like. Because I can tell you, Asad, for somebody like me, forgiveness is not easy to give. I'm never going to cross you, Sadia, because I know then I'm done. You're, you're, you'll never forgive me. I'm glad you know that, Asad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this week's episode of Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, please check out the links in the show notes and also email your thoughts to us about this story, about any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also find us on all the socials. Uh, just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. It really helps us a lot. And as Sadia will say, rate and review us as well. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Rafaelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd like to thank our team, which includes Michaela Strather, Isabel Havens, Lindsay Gamble, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime for us to analyze. Until then, I'm Asad Butt. And I am Sadia Khan. We'll see you here next time with another important episode of Invisible Hate. Hey! 
Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.